sister's driving up. Okay, so last week was the Yarchei and we introduced the idea of Kedusha. We set some definitions of Kedusha, mm-hmm. and of course we tied it back more to the base of Mikdash because that was really the topic, but it's also very helpful because um, that's where we are as well in the Kodesh HaKadoshim is facing and kind of this, these stages of getting into the Beis HaMikdash and in there. And that's really where we're centered. And that was the, the angle of centering ourselves. So I wanted to, there were just a few points from last week that either I wanted to just summarize again, leading into the rest of our discussion of this bracha. Um, and a few, one thing that I skipped over in the interests of time then, but I think I'd like to bring in now. So one was we had a series of different definitions of kedusha, usually translated as holiness, but that doesn't help much anyway. Mm-hmm. So kedusha is a perfect synthesis of the physical and spiritual worlds. Kedusha, and perhaps these inform each other and help us define the definitions. Kedusha is involved with and influencing the the spiritual, involved with and influencing the physical, yet untouched by it. Kedusha is control over and restraint from physical pulls. So precious, holding back, self-discipline. But it's not just the pulling back on its own. It's the pulling back when that is the flip side of turning towards and choosing godliness or spirituality. Think of it almost as like um, one of these, sometimes in like, uh, my kids were watching Agent MS, which is like Jewish spy movies. So the, they have like a bookcase and it, you push it on one side and it spins on an axis. It's like as if it's got like a pole down the middle. So it's like a door and they go out the other side and then it turns all the way around, right? Mm-hmm. So one side is the other, you know, yeah. it's two sides of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Affecting, pushing one side pulls the other side, not because there's a duality, but because it's two sides of the same thing. So that, with Kedusha having that two side, the, the withdrawing or restraining from the physical as an expression of choosing the spiritual, as opposed to simple, let's say, obsessive or compulsive, holding back, right? There are people who are so disgusted by the thought of something, right? Or afraid of something getting control of them that they're able to hold back and be extremely disciplined. That may be bad, that may be good, that may be neutral. (laughs) That may just be a personality trait, in which case it's part of their package of tools, resources, and challenges like the rest of us. But... If it isn't coming from choosing the Kedusha, then it's not necessarily, precious on its own is not necessarily Kedusha. Okay. Kedusha is a perfect readiness for greatness. That this, this holding back, being able to hold oneself back from certain things, to say, you know what, I'm not going to read this thing. Maybe that's not the right thing for my brain to be dwelling on. We all know, you know, there's enough out there that could be read or looked at or watched, you know, and each one in our own place being able to say, you know what, that, no, I'm going to hold myself back from that because I'd rather have my mind on different Mm -hmm. kinds of tracks, 
Okay, that's a kind of, because I want to be something greater, therefore I can hold myself back. I can choose to hold myself back. And Kedusha is a full expression of free will. It's an expression of the divine aspect of yourself. The Tzalem Elohim, the godliness, the neshama that Hashem put inside of us is expressed through the act of choosing, of saying, I can choose. I am not, um, I am not just a victim of my desires, but I can choose whether I am going to do this or not going to do this. And it will be based on what is best for me or what is Ratzon Hashem, and that's a choice. That's a full expression of, of the inner divine. Okay. Um, the next point, which is one that I skipped, but is relevant here. It was relevant then, but it's even more relevant moving forward about Kedusha, is in Bracious, when man is first, first created. Bracious Beis Pasuk Zayin, Vayitzer Hashem Elohim Es Ha'adam, Afar Min Ha'adama, Hashem formed the man of dust of the earth, Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chaim, and blew into his nostrils a living soul, and man became a living soul. And Rashi says, why does it say Vayitzer with two Yuds? <clears throat> There's a lot of other things that are created, and they're alive, and they're described as Vayitzer with one Yud. Why two? Shteyitziros. It's two aspects of creation in this one creation. One is creation for Olam Hazeh, and one is created for Trias Amesim. Which is interesting, but that's the two. Okay, but, but another world, okay? In other words, there is a physical existence, or that's, actually, that's not what he says here. A current existence, a finite existence, and an eternal existence. That there's two levels of creation. That a person was created dust of the earth, and a person is created also of God blowing into his nostrils a living soul. Something, okay, blowing, we talked about this a couple years ago at Rosh Hashanah time, that the idea of blowing or exhaling brings something from deep inside of you and puts it out. It's not just at the surface, whereas you could say that somebody did something with their hands, formed with their hands, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that anything from within them is part of this process, but breathing means taking something from inside and pushing it out into the other into this other space. In this case, the other space is not just out in space, it's inside of Adam. You should go to a yoga class and say this at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I'm sure it'll go over great. Yeah, okay. So when the Torah says that man is created of the dust of the earth and also this exhalation of God into him, so Rashi says, Asao Hashem made Adam min ha-tachtonim of the lower parts and of the upper realms. I mean, man is created of two different, two different parts to the recipe. One part of the recipe is the dust of the earth. He's actually created of earth. Well, that's the lower world. And he's also created of ayipach ba'apav, which is a higher world, a spiritual world. And then he's made of both of them the guf, the body from the lower world, and the neshama from the higher world. And man cre became a living creature. So Rashi says, well, also animals are living creatures. They're also alive. A nefesh chaya doesn't sound unique to man. 
um, because alive, chaya, like a chaya, right, could mean like a wild animal, and a nefesh is the physical motor of life. But he says, no, what the Torah is telling us is he's nefesh chaya. He is like the living thing. It's a more, more living than an animal is living, even at the level of nefesh. So neshama, okay, nishma schayim, we understand. No other thing was created with a neshama. That's vayipach ba'apav nishma schayim. But the result, the result of this lower and upper being combined into this one creation is called nefesh chaya, which sounds sort of like it could be any kind of motorized animal, animated is the word I meant, right? <laughs> um, living creature. But he says, no, because zoshel adam chaya shebekulan. This, what, what you end up with, even the nefesh, just the living soul of man, the, the animating soul, the physical soul, the blood, right? The dam is the nefesh. The idea of that which is able to permeate all the cells and keep them alive. Okay, that's not unique to man, but in the case of man, it's chaya shebekulan, more alive than all the other creatures. Why? Shenetosefbo, because there's a factor that is added into even his physical creation that is not existing in the other physical animals, which is day of a divor, <coughs> knowledge and speech. Okay, so day out, we talked about this quite a lot around Shavuos time, or just after Shavuos, that I... <laughs> day of a divor where it's knowledge which is experiential knowledge, right? Dea is something you know deep inside of you, and nobody can try and cleverly debate you out of the knowledge. It's something you know, you've experienced it, you've seen it for yourself, um, and that that knowledge, each person's experience of that is unique, and that's one aspect of each person being a different a different experience in the world, a whole world unto themselves. And the debor that goes with it, the importance of the speech, the ability to communicate one's dea to a different person, to a different person who hasn't experienced it. And being able to share that knowledge between each other so that a person, a given person, can have knowledge of Hashem and creation that is greater than that which he has been able to experience within his own small lifetime. So each person, number one, can be more than what he is limited to be because of knowledge and speech. And furthermore, the knowledge of people can be joined together into one greater humankind knowledge, right? Which is somewhat hinted to in the description of the future time when umala ha'aretz de'as Hashem, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. It will be filled because you can network together the brains of all these people through their speech and the ability to then convey. So they go together. The day of a divor, although it's only sort of a single thing added, it's, an, again, this two-part bit that's added. This, this Deya and Dibor, you know, another aspect of Deya and Dibor so dea means knowledge, experiential knowledge. It's also used for intimacy, right? Adam knew his wife. Well, like, sure, they must have known each other. 
right? But he knew his wife, and then she conceived. So it means an, a new kind of intimate knowledge, okay? And Debor, um, there are places where it'll say that a person took another person. There's different places like that in the Torah. So Rashi will always tell us it was he took them with words, right? In other words, convincing somebody, persuading them. There's a connection that happens between people that is described as Dea or Dibor or both. And it's interesting because the mitzvah, Dea and Dibor also can be seen to reflect Torah and Tefillah. Dea, Torah, knowledge, right? Understanding what God is telling us. And Dibor, speech, which is Tefillah. These are, if you want to sort of pare down to the to the essence of the human, the human mission, it's Dea and Dibor. It's, it's both the tools we're given and the mission to accomplish, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> that the tools that you're given are the indicator, the tools you're given that are unique are the indicator of how your mission is unique. And that's Dea and Dibor, which is knowledge, right, and speech. I was cued into that to some extent at the sitter party at Orliahu a few years ago, because Rabbi Goldberg, that over there, they give them the Chumash and the sitter in the same party. A lot of schools, they give them one. You get your sitter first, and then you get your Chumash later on. But here, when they start reading, so once they're reading, they get the Chumash and the, and the sitter at the same party. And Rabbi Goldberg said to them, look, you have two Svarim in your hands. One is Hashem talking to you, and one is you, your, Hashem's word speaking to you, and one is your word speaking to Hashem. And that, like, really cued me into this, this Rashi on the Deya and the Dibor. And the, they're, again, it's like this two-way interconnected channel. And the mitzvah of learning Torah is vishinamtam levonecho, vidibartabam. You should teach it to your children and speak about it. Okay, but it's not it. It's vidibartabam, them. So this I would not be bringing up really if not for the fact that we just had Parshas Matos and Maseh. And in Maseh we talked on Shabbos about the number 42 because there's the 42 stations. And we talked about this briefly, uh, not so briefly, in Shema in, in the past, which was the idea of Bam, speak about them, right? So Bam is Bracious and Me'imasai, Torah Shebichtav, Torah Shebaal um, but Bam is also 42. It's that journey. But Bam is also with them or in them. Now, Abby showed me afterward uh, a really beautiful thing. I, you know, I should pull it out. Okay, I didn't pull it out. So it was in the art scroll sitter, and it answered a question. It answered this also, but it also answered a question I'd had for probably a year and never understood which is that in different parts of Shemona Esrei, on Shabbos, sometimes uh, Shabbos is referred to as Bo, sometimes as Ba, and sometimes as Bam. To the point where the reason it jumped out at me was the grammar was weird. Like, so what is it referring to? They're going to rejoice in, in God or in Shabbos? Like, it's not even perfectly clear if you try and follow, right? V'yanuchu vo, v'yanuchu va, v'yanuchu vam. So she showed me that in the Arts Girl Sitter, it said at the bottom, like in the little commentary down there, that that refers to the relationship. Okay, so you have 
you have va, Shabbos is described as va, which is her, on Friday night, which makes sense because the whole, rela- that's like more of a, it's like one of these like Tzvas Kabbalistic type things. But Shabbos is referred to as like the feminine side of the relationship right. Friday night. So lechadodi likras kala, right? It's the kala, so we're like the chasen. Right. Like Klau Yisrael is the, taking the male side of that relationship on Friday night. There are people who, when they cut the chalas, they put one on top of the other, and at night they cut the bottom chala because that's Shabbos as the, as the female side of a relationship. And on Shabbos day, Shabbos is described as vo, as, as him. Oh. And then we're on the feminine side of the relationship, mm. which is the opposite, okay? And that's, that's, I mean, that's not... It's the opposite of inconsistent. If you think about it, think about how you come into Shabbos on a Friday, you've worked for it. You've been putting in. So you're taking that male side of that piece of the relationship, right? That's the, the putting out, the influencing. So Shabbos is the receiving beneficiary of that, so to speak. You've made all these preparations for Shabbos' arrival. But on Shabbos day, you don't do anything to prepare for Shabbos. You receive Shabbos. It acts on you. Whatever you have is what you have. Mm-hmm. Whatever is present for you is what you receive and accept. Yes, yesterday you were the one who was preparing it. But once Shabbos starts, right, so that's the Shabbos. But, and this was something I hadn't seen, at the end of Shabbos, it's vum, them. It's both, together. It's that it's the tightness of that deep relationship between the Jewish people and Shabbos, right? You know, Shabbos came to Hashem. There's that, like one of those odd midrashim. We say, what is that about, right? It says it's not fair. Sunday has Monday, Tuesday has Wednesday, Thursday has Friday. Who do I have? I have no partner. Hashem says, don't worry. I'm going to have a Jewish people. They're not here yet. They're coming. <laughs> They're coming. Hang in there, right? Shidduch crisis, even before we were created. <laughs> Hang in there, he'll come and find you, right? There's going to be a Jewish people, and that will be your partner. Okay, this is very reminiscent. That's why it was there for last week, but we didn't say it last week in the end because it was a little bit of a diversion, this idea of the kruvim. Look and see how beloved you are to Hashem, right? And that's shown in that closeness between the kruvim, right? The bum, that journey of 42, is a journey to that kind of closeness, that's really what's indicated in that bomb, and that's why it's Vidibar Tabom. Torah itself is, is that piece of when you're speaking Vidibarta and Bom, Torah, now you've intertwined Deya and Dibor together. And that's a very tight kind of a bond. That's very close. Are you saying that the, um, the bomb part of it comes at the end of Shabbos or just later in the day? It's, at, it's near the end. Not when it's over. It's Mincha, yeah? I think. Or okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you'll look and see when you dive in Shemona Esrei. Okay. The next point. It's, it's, it's in the Shemona Esrei. Oh, I mean, yeah. It? It's bum at the end of Shabbos. Uh-huh. It's bow on Shabbos day. Oh, the first half. Nail. I think it's like, an, I looked it up. It's like Shachris and Musaf is bow. And at Mincha, yeah. it's ba. And on Friday night, it is. I'm sorry. At Friday night, it's ba, ba. with a hay. Yeah. With a hay. So then it's Shabbos being described as feminine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, another point, Kedusha is the spiritual influencing the physical, but not being influenced by it, right? That's we talked about, the Aaron and the Kruvim somehow are not affected by the limitations of size in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. They're just like, 
there's an influence there that's spiritual and it's not affected by the physical and that's a key a key element yeah because we all say that it's really important to do something physical with your, your mitzvahs or your davening. It has to be with your, your actual mouth, mm-hmm. and which is a physical influence. So I think we're going to come on to it more. I think the point is, first of all, Kedusha is, Kedusha is one midah. Uh-huh. Right? We had chesed, we had gvura. Kedusha right. is, is a piece of it, but I think that the aspect of Kedusha, because based on that Masilas Yasharim, which we talked about last week, right? Where he says, first it starts with precious, withholding. But the end of that, of that Kedusha is the person who's at such a level of control that they're not influenced by the physical. They might use the physical, right? So he said that's like bringing a korban on a mezbeach to to give food to a Talmud Chacham, more than a Talmud Chacham, like someone who's a Kadosh. Because the food is elevated, it becomes in service to the Avoda. But the Avoda is not somehow dependent on the physical. If there isn't that, so then I'll find who. However, I am going to take care of it. There'll be another means. God will provide it. I'll eat something else, Whatever. I, that's what it seems to be, that it's, there isn't, it's a one way that the, this physical requires the spiritual in order to elevate it, mm-hmm. but the spiritual is not dependent on that physical. Okay. So the avoda becomes the elevation of the physical, but not, oh, I need it. As soon as there's the need, now, I'm, now there's the dependence. I think that's what the difference is. Okay. And then, just to finish up the sort of bridge out from last week, um, was the idea that when you come into Av, Simcha is reduced. It's made smaller. And we've learned many times, and we saw that the sort of what seems to be the classic case of it is um, when David HaMelech, at the end of the first book of Devar HaYamim, and the people gathered together all of this money and all of these contributions for the Beis HaMikdash, and there was this great joy, and they ate and drank. Right? This simcha, where the simcha is a function of knowing purpose. When, when, when what is physical is from God's hand is everything, and we take from his hand to give to him. Uh, that is the relationship to the physical, where the physical is the gift from God, which is used in order to serve him. And when we're on focus in that way, that's a sense of mission and purpose, understanding what is this for? What am I for? What's the action for? What's the book for? What's the tea for? What's the pencil for? What was the gold for? Well, I'm going to use it to build a base on Dash with. When you have that kind of clarity, what is my goal? What is my purpose? What is my function in the world in serving Hashem? Then there's a great feeling of joy. There's the joy of knowing you have purpose, which is a great joy. I mean, the opposite of that is depression, really, a sense of purposelessness. Um, and there's also the, there's a second stage of joy which comes from being able to say, I fulfilled something. I was zoche, right? I had the merit to receive means and resources and use them properly. 
And I can tell that I was successful. Why? Because I know what the goal was. <laughs> I know what the job was, so I can see if it was done. Or I can see how I did on a scale of, it's always very helpful. This is like pro tips for perfectionism, uh-huh. where perfectionism uh-huh. is the confusion of who I am with what I do or accomplish. Wow. Yeah. Is not to grade yourself as success or not success, but like how did I do on a scale of 1 to 10? Maybe it was a 3, which is not maybe very good, but it acknowledges also that there was something I did do. You know, it means that it's not like, oh, forget it, I'm a failure. I, I, I managed a 3. Okay, mm-hmm. so maybe, maybe next week or next month or next year I'll be able to say I was a 4 or a 5 in that. Mm-hmm. It gives you some kind of perspective that's actually very helpful. Okay. So in Av, where we've lost the Beis HaMikdash, mm-hmm. we've lost that glimpse into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, so to speak, we have to create it without seeing it. Because people couldn't see into the Kodesh HaKadoshim all the time, right? We brought that Gemara. But they could get a glimpse. And that glimpse carries you. Because you have a kind of knowledge and focus of what your purpose is. And then you keep on going and you keep orienting yourself to that even when you can't see it. That's emuna, right? Emuna is what you know to be true, allowing that to guide your actions and your feelings even when it's not quite present in front of you. And in general, that's how Hashem relates to people. He puts us in Gan Eden and then takes us out. But then all of humanity has this sense that there is a paradise that we could be aspiring to. There is something better than this that we could be reaching for, right? So it's a long, hard, that's the mashal Rabbi Tatz gives of the person who you're helping a baby to walk. So first you hold his hands or you hold him by the waist or stick him in a walker. They don't use walkers anymore, right? But you remember you'd put like a five-month-old baby in a walker and they would scootle all over the house and have a great time. And then you take them out of the walker and they can't even sit up. <laughs> Maybe they can sit if you put them in a walker, okay? But they can't stand, they can't, right? That's so frustrating. Like here I was able to run, and now, right? And then little by little, though, they start learning to walk. And just as they get good at that, you let go, and now they're falling down again. But now when they learn to walk, they're the ones walking. They changed. They got stronger. And that's in general how Hashem interacts with us. He gives us a look at it so we know what we're aiming for. We know what that could be like. It's a motivation, it's an inspiration, but then it's withdrawn so that we have to work for it because we're here for that purpose. We're here in order to do the work and in order to be changed, right? We saw that with Rav Hutner a few years ago. He said it about Purim and Pesach. Remember the, the, the Purim with the light, um, with the darkness, the two people who are sent out to bring somebody back to the king in the dark. One has a lantern and one doesn't, or one had a candle. So the one who has a light, he has to look carefully because it's kind of dark, but then he can identify someone more easily. The one who doesn't have a light has to identify someone in the dark. He has to think of good questions to ask and recognize the voice and you know, try and find other ways to achieve the goal. But when they come back or when the, light, when the sun comes up, the one who had the lantern has learned nothing new. Whereas the one who didn't have a lantern has developed their skills and abilities and knowledge in a new way. And that's why we're here in the world is to become developed and become greater. So this idea of, this really is, that was the sort of wrap-up of the idea that the Beis HaMikdash, the Shlach said, like the Mishkan, is taken down to be put back up. And that the goal is that there will be, the third Beis HaMikdash, where it will be perfectly put up and be permanent. But first we had to get the glimpse. And then we had to lose it. 
but there's an avoda, there's a journey. That's the masos, that's the journey of 42 to get to that final destination where now you're ready, but you're also changed and you're also different. You're not the way you were at the beginning of the journey. Okay, so the Vilnagon says, he says it actually about Shachris, Mincha, and Mayrev, but I believe he also says this about the first three brachos. In fact, I'm sure he does, just not maybe in these words, of Shemona Esrei, which is, there's right and there's left, and then there's not, it doesn't, the word he uses is gufa. Gufa doesn't mean the middle. It means like the self. In other words, if a person is standing, you can turn toward the right, you can turn toward the left, but if you're not doing either one of those, you're sort of where you actually are. That's the middle. It's a little bit different than just middle. It's the sort of itselfness, not inclined one way or another. And that corresponds to Shachas Mincha Mayrev, which is the source where I just took it from. But it also corresponds in general to Chesed Gevura Tiferes, where Chesed is the first midah, the hashba, the giving, the love, the kindness that corresponded to Avraham, corresponded to the first bracha of Shmon Esrei, right? Gadol, Gibor, Anora, the Gedula. Left corresponds to Givura, to Din, um, to Yitzchak, to the second bracha of Shmon Esrei. Okay, Aram, go around the other side next time, okay? It's a little distracting. And the third bracha, which is the one we're up to, corresponds then to Yaakov, which is Tiferes, glory, um, or Kedusha, which is the word that we focused on, especially because we were learning about the Beis HaMikdash. Um, sometimes Nora, awesome. Okay, so the sort of such a tremendous sense of greatness that one is thrown back and in fear of it because it is so great. So that's awe. It's a new... All of those are new realities that are somehow not to the right, not to the left. And it's not just that they're the middle, but it's actually the gufa, the self. It's almost like the reality. Not more to the right, not more to the left, but it's this reality that's created by the two of them. When the right and the left are blended, there's some new reality that's, that's the center of all of it. Center is maybe the better word than, than middle. Okay. So I just wanted to open sort of this further discussion with that idea because we'll see that it comes into play in many areas since this is the third bracha of Shmona Esrei and Kedusha. Okay, so starting to like work our way through these words. It's actually a much shorter bracha than the other two that we just had. Ata Kadosh, you, Hashem, are Kadosh. Vishimcha Kadosh, your name is Kadosh. Ukadoshim and those who are kadosh, the chol yom, each and every day, yahalalucha praise you, Selah. All right. So we have to break down a little bit because these are all seem like different things. <laughs> I mean, how do you have a unifying theme if it's at, right when it came to? <coughs> Well, maybe I'm not going to say what I was just about to say because I'm not sure it's actually true. Okay. Ata Kadosh. So Rav Schwab says, Kadosh Baruch Hu is completely beyond our understanding. The def- by saying Ata Kadosh, Hashem is Kadosh, you Hashem are Kadosh, we're saying we have no concept or comprehension of, of what he is. And the 
concept of kedusha then is that precious, that separation from the physical. In the same way that a person becomes more kadosh by holding back from the physical, Hashem is so held back, He is so far away from anything physical that we don't know how to understand that at all. So step one is to just say ato kadosh, like you are in another sphere. It's just some beyond sphere. I mean, there's no sphere. Like there's, we have no way to conceptualize or understand. That's fine. All we do know about Hashem is what He has told us about Himself that is, for whatever reason, relevant to us. And even that we only grasp in the little ways that we're able to grasp it. So He has told us He's Bore Kol Hamasin, creator of all that exists. He's Yachid, unique. Rishon, first. Acharon, last. Mashkiach al-Olam. He supervises everything. He's on top of everything that's happening in the world and controlling it. We only know that because he told us that. That's Vishimcha Kadosh. Shimcha, the name, and I'm not going to go through this all because we talked about this in the introduction to the name of Hashem way back, way back, way back. And Hashem Elokeinu, back and before Brachos. Um, the idea that a shame, a name, is a way of describing someone, uh, someone's interaction in a particular area. So in the same way that you could be like Mrs. Ziff, and that could be like your name as a teacher, but you could be Joni to friends and probably some other cutesy name to your husband and a different name to parents or totally. sisters, right? And it's not a contradiction, right? Mommy to your children or grandma to your grandchildren. It's not a contradiction that you have a lot of different names. It's that a name is an expression of your relationship and what you put into a relationship, what you bring to that relationship. That's what a name tells you. So the names of Hashem are describing to us something that Hashem is bringing into his relationship with the world, which is why we see certain names, and then Rashi will say, well, that's referring to Midas Hadin, or Midas HaRachamim, or the fact that Hashem is Ne'eman Lishalim Sachar Tov, or Ne'eman Lipara, right? Because that's what it means. We, we have no, we can't relate at all to the fact that Ata Kadosh, that's, we can't relate to it at all. But Shimcha Kadosh is how Hashem is telling us that we could relate to him. It's his names. So there is an, so these names that are revealed in the Torah. Now the truth is the Zohar says that the entire Torah is names of God. This is the sort of thing you will hear more likely in a Chabad shul than <laughs> in my share. But nonetheless, that every letter and every word of Torah is another shame, another revelation of Hashem to us. Now, again, it doesn't mean we understand him. What it means is we strive to understand how he is relating to us and how, therefore how he wishes us to relate to him. That's what he's telling us. That's Ata Kadosh and Shimcha Kadosh. Which then would lead to Ukadoshim Bechoyom Yahalaluchasela. Meaning, if Hashem is too great to understand and yet he reveals to us how he's relating to us then someone who is going to be called a kadosh is someone who takes that to heart and learns from it then how to relate to Hashem. Yehalalucha, to praise Him. Okay. Again, that fits in with that idea that Adam wasn't cre- that that the rain didn't fall until Adam was created, and he was there to appreciate that it was needed and to call out man as a praying being, 
that goes with the day on the Dibor. This is really the day on the Dibor. Again, that's why all those ideas are kind of foundational ideas. <laughs> okay, that being able to see it and then speak it out and praise it is our way of bringing the physical and elevating it, spiritualizing it, bring, connecting the lower worlds with the upper world and vice versa. That is the role of man. Okay. Rabbi Left says, I just want to make sure my, my watch is right. Okay. Rabbi Left says, the third bracha is called Kedushas Hashem, which is interesting. Um, I would guess the art school probably has that. I know they put, they put the name of each bracha at the front of it. Um, so the Kedushas Hashem is something we think of as more like Kiddush Hashem, you know. Mm -hmm. Kedushas Hashem. Well, what's Kiddush Hashem? Kiddush Hashem, just like this, I didn't prepare that up here, but Kiddush Hashem means when we act or choose in such a manner as to reveal Hashem's presence and interaction in the world through our behavior. That's Kiddush Hashem. Yeah? Okay. So he says it corresponds to the second Pasuk in Tehillim because we have this idea that the 18 brachos, or 19, in Shimon Esrei correspond to Hashem's name in the parak of Tehillim, Mizmor Ladavid. Here. Mizmor Ladavid, Havu Lashem Bnei Elim, Havu Lashem Kavod Vaoz. Havu Lashem Kavod Shemo, Hishtachavu Lashem Bahadras Kodesh. So the first two names of Hashem are in the first Pasuk, and the third and fourth are in the second. So that means that this third bracha corresponds to the third use of Hashem's name. Right over here, so you have Havu Lashem Kavod Shemo. Raise up and give to Hashem honor to His name, Hishtachavu Lashem, and bow down to Hashem in the glory of His Kodesh, of His sanctuary. It corresponds to Yaakov Avinu, whose Mida is Kedusha, also known as Emes, also known as Tiferes. And when was this bracha first said? So I didn't see it in the source. He doesn't say. He just says the Medrash says it. <coughs> it usually tells you exactly where, so I don't know where exactly it is. Um, we found the first two. So with the first bracha, Magin Avraham, we found that the Medrash said that the Malachim first said Magin Avraham when Hashem saved Avraham from the, from the furnace, fiery furnace. And when did the bracha of, of Mechai HaMesim, when was that first said? The Malachim first said it when Yitzchak was revived from the Akedah. So now it's not going to be so surprising that in fact, the bracha of HaKel HaKadosh, Hashem, the, the source of all might, is the Holy One, is the Kadosh One, was first said by the Malachim when Yaakov davened Mariv at the Makom HaMikdash. When Yaakov saw that the sun was going down, uh, first Yaakov overshot. He's on his way to Haran, right? And he went past, and he realized he had missed, this Parshas Vayetze, he had missed stopping at the site of Har HaMoriah, where the Akedah had happened, and where his forefathers had brought Karbanos. And he said, Oy vey, what did I do? So he went back. And he got there very quickly, and then all of a sudden the sun set much more quickly than it should have set. So he davened, davened Myriv. Mm -hmm. And then he put the rocks around his head and he went to sleep and he had the dream and he saw the ladder and the malachim going down and up. 
And Hashem, Hashem, Hashem made a covenant with him during the dream, and he woke up, and the rocks were one rock, and he, okay. That was when he sanctified Hashem's name. Now that's, that's all that it says. And the Malachim said, Baruch Hashem HaKel HaKadosh. When they saw this behavior, they said, Baruch Hashem HaKel HaKadosh. Okay, so I'm not sure where it is. I believe that it might be a reference to this, which is, Yaakov said, Vishafti Bishalom, if I will return in peace, El Beis Avi, to my father's home, Vahaya Hashem Lile Lokim, Hashem will be my God. Which we talked about one year in the Parsha Shir, because it's like funny, like, and he's not, like, of course he's your God. Like, doesn't matter whether you come back in peace or not, really. Um, and we see that he keeps his side of the bargain from the beginning. He's not waiting to find out if he'll get back, you know. Okay. But really, vishafti means if I return. It's going back to where you came from. There's a whole concept here of this going back. He overshoot. He doesn't just go to, you know, why, why does that happen? He doesn't go to Har HaMoriah. He goes past it and then says, oh, my gosh, i got to go back. You know, that's much harder if you're walking. If you walk past where you need to go, it's not so easy to say, okay, I'm going to go back. I know. It's really not. It's not even driving. Like, it's really harder work. It doesn't say how far he went, but it seems like it was a substantial distance. Like, you know, a half a day's journey. <laughs> hours. He's gone hours past yeah, where he yeah, was. Yeah. Because he, he didn't even think of it. And then he felt bad when he realized it, so he went back. And that in general, that idea of the third phase being a phase of going back, Going back to what you missed. Tshuva. It's tshuva. Vishavti. Mm-hmm. I'll return back. Right? That is really always the third phase. The first phase is the chesed and the ahava. And the second phase is the din or the gavura. And the third phase, which is this thing called kedusha or nora or emes or tiferes, that always is, really involves a kind of a returning on our part. Right? We had it in Shema. We had that same kind of triple pattern as well. So I think it's very possible that this idea of the tshuva, the going back, returning to get it right the next time, putting out that extra hard effort to correct our mistakes, and then ending with Hashem will be lile lokim, to me, my God. Right? That's very evocative of the end of Shema, where Hashem says, Ani Hashem elokechem, I am your God. Part of which is that Hashem's name is, shines out because of you and your behaviors. God has his name. He attaches his name to you. So people say, that's the God of the Jews. Right? Or the idea that when a person is Mekadeh Shem Shamayim, that people will say, fortunate is the one who gave birth to him. Right? Ashrei Yolatito. Like, fortunate is his mother. Fortunate is the one who taught him Torah. Fortunate is the God who has this person. That's the reaction that people will have. This is the idea of kiddush Hashem, of our choices and our decisions, our precious, in its way, opening a window for God's divinity and his name to shine out. So it's possible that that's what it's referring. That's my speculation. I went back to look through that section a little bit. I don't know, because I didn't see the medrash well, itself. I'm wondering, so... Um so the people's reactions to somebody doing Kiddush Hashem or doing something... Are you saying that in other people they notice, they may notice, and say that's the God, that's their God, that's right. the, the Jews' God, 
acting, and they see it, but may not acknowledge it, may not understand it, but they right. just... We don't do it because what of what other people no, say, I but it's a result okay, of it. It's a result, that there's and it's a like result. sort of... When a person chooses right. to do something that's right, even though it's more difficult, yeah. and that is that blend, again, of the chesed and the gavura, the fact that there's a difficulty right. level, maybe, or a holding back level right. in some way, of denying oneself, maybe, or allowing oneself to be subjected to something that you could escape if you only, I don't know, accepted somebody else's God, right? I mean, that would be like the sort of ultimate Kiddush Hashem, right? It, it doesn't have, a person could be Mekadosh Shemayim with nobody else present. But the sort of classic case of Kiddush Hashem is when a person's choices and behaviors announce that there is a God. And not only that there's a God, and not that we're forced to do what God says, but that we choose it. That is that key element of Kiddush Hashem. When a person, you know, we, over history, it was very, very rare to find a Jew who converted out under pressure. It's just really, really rare. There were certain times, at, but, but very few. Um, and what the, the Kiddush Hashem in there is not a Kiddush Hashem that people were able to force people and kill them. The Kiddush Hashem is that even to escape that kind of discomfort, people chose God. Said, I'm not, I, that's the announcing that there is a God through choice. Through choice. That's real hamlacha. Kedusha, Kedusha corresponded really to the level of Kriyashma. That's what we first talked about, Kedusha in the world of Malachim, right? So, that level of kedusha with your hamlachas Hashem, elev- making God our king, saying, I'm choosing that. God is the king anyway. Hashem <laughs> What do you mean God is going to be your God? He's your God. No, but I am, by opting in, that's where the kedusha Hashem comes from. And I think that that is related to that idea of vishavti, right? Because our choices only have the meaning if we have the option to choose something different. If it's not optional, then it doesn't, tell you anything one way or another. But if it's actually something that you chose, right, that's only meaningful because you could have chosen the opposite. So that is there. You have this interaction of teshuva. The op- it all tied together. These are all the same ideas that we've seen before. We're seeing them again because we're again at a level three. We're kind of in our way, sort of, so that from that level of bria. Okay. So. Our, our. But I want you to remember because I want to hear it. Do you want to come take a note paper and write it down so you won't forget to tell me? No, 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 not now. But I'm going to write down what you said so that you could tell me after. Okay. Which is why the kedusha. We had this idea once before. Also, the kedusha of the Jewish people is greater than the kedusha of the malachim. The potential kedusha of the Jewish people. You got to work for it which is the whole point, is that we work for it. So because we work for it, it says, Malachim say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzavakos. And we even say that in this part of this bracha is where Kedusha comes in. Kedusha, Kadosh, right? That's where it is. Okay. So they say three words, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. You remember this? Before they say Hashem's name. That's Malachim. But Jewish people, when they can reach that level, they say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad which is only two words before saying, like two words of building up to get to Hashem's name, and that that's considered a sign of greaterness. 
of relative greaterness of Jewish people or humanity over Malachim. Now, whether you get to that is a different question, but that is where we can get to, which is why Kedusha reads the way it does. The Malachim say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzavakos, and we're modeling ourselves on that, but we end up with saying, Shema Yisra Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad. By the way, why is it during Kedusha we don't cover our eyes when we say that part of the Kedusha? That's a good question. We just say it? A different part of the Avodah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's a good question. It's in other places like that where it shows up as Kedusha without the eyes covered. It's only in Shema that we cover it. We're not making a statement. Well, we, we, right, we're referring to the fact that we make this statement twice a day. We're not actually doing it. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Okay. Okay. So, Tiferes, this is what Rabbi Left says in corresponding. So, what is it like? So, now we have all these different names. You have Kedusha, you have Tiferes, you have Emes. You have Torah, right? Yaakov is Torah. You have Chesed, Gevurah, and Torah. So, like, how do they all fit together? Because they don't all mean the exact same thing, which is, makes sense, because in Hebrew, no two words mean exactly the same thing. But how do they even correspond to one another? So here's what he says. He says, Tiferes is when everything... Tiferes, the literal meaning would be something like glory. When everything is designated and united by man in exclusive service to Hashem. That's a very interesting definition. Meaning, Tiferes is a result of a human being's actions or choices. Tiferes, glory, is when a person takes what is physical in the world and designates it and says, this is for Holiness. This is for a mitzvah. And it's united. All these different things are going to pull together and work together to serve Hashem. Okay, the exclusivity, that, that's Kedusha, right? So when, when a man marries a woman and he says, Hareyat Mikudeshesli, you are Kadosh to me, two things happen, right? I think I mentioned this last week. Two things happen. One is she becomes permitted to him, the other is she becomes usher to everybody else. That's a kind of exclusivity, a holding back, but it's, it's reflective of Kedusha, where it's holding back while permitting at the same time. It's permitting and yet holding back both. Teferis is when things become designated and dedicated fully to Avodah Hashem by a person. That is a state of Teferis. MS, truth. So this world... Right, Shlomo HaMelech says, Hevel Havolim, Hakol Hevel. It's all nothing. It's all meaningless. It's all empty. It's all sheker. The physical world is all, could be seen as all false. Because it really is all a reflection of a greater spiritual truth. And if you just look at the physical nature of it, what you see is completely misleading and wrong. However, if you recognize that everything has its source in spiritual reality, and is created by Hashem in order to be used for him and served him to him, then what you've done is you've connected what is Sheker in the world and connected it to something MS. You've revealed the MS that's really behind it. So MS, Kedusha, and Tiferes are all interconnected ideas and correspond. The avoda of one is the avoda of the other, in other words. That's what we're saying. We're saying that they all correspond, is that the degree to which we are doing avoda Hashem in this area is in affects all of these. They all interconnect with one another. And Torah. Torah, 
Shimcha Kadosh, God's name is Kadosh, and the Torah is these expressions of Hashem's relating to us and teaching us Torah lehorot, to teach, right, like a mora. Torah is a teaching of how to sanctify all of the physical world. Okay, so the Torah is combinations that from which the world was created. The world is created based on the Torah, and the Torah ten tells you how. So how do you relate to this physical world spiritually? How do you sanctify? How do you do that elevation? That's Torah. So Torah, MS, Teferis, Kedusha, all of these mm-hmm. are different aspects, different expressions, but of the same avoda. So I found that very helpful because it's difficult to know otherwise, you know. Okay. That also, by the way, I think it seems to me is um, I could point you to sources for it, but not exactly saying this. But I think it's legitimate, right? We have the Torah. the The question Rashi asks: Why does the Torah begin with Bereshis? Why does the Torah begin with Bereshis? It should start with Hachodesh Azalachem and Shmos with the mitzvahs, because the whole point of Torah is to teach us how to sanctify every aspect of the physical world. How do you do that through mitzvahs? So, like. Why do I need the whole Bereshis? No, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, you want to raise your hand? Yes, what do you think? Why would the word Bereshis? Why would the whole book of Bereshis? Oh, I think it should start with Vayikra. <laughs> right, that's even more mitzvahs. Okay, but you could just put the couple mitzvahs in Shmos and pack them up. Okay. It's not more than a few. With right. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a different issue, right? <laughs> okay, so I think... That it's because since the teaching of Torah is to teach us how to sanctify every aspect of the physical world for Avodah Hashem, first you have to know that everything was created by God for Avodah, for Avodah Hashem. That's what we learn in Bereshis. And, of course, going into Shmos, we learn it throughout. But Bereshis, even without mitzvos, I mean, there's like Gid Hanasheh, Bris Mila. Like, it's not really a place for mitzvos. What it's a place for is understanding that Hashem created all of this world and created it Lichvodobara, for his glory. Right? That's the Mishnah Navos. Um, okay, let's do one more piece then for today. Um, which is Nora. Because we had Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. So that's the word I didn't talk about that, at least that I'm aware of, that corresponds at the same level. Right? So we had Teferis and we had Emes and we had Kedusha and we had Torah. But I didn't talk about Nora. But Nora also is one of the correspondences because you have Hagadol, Hagibor, and Hanora. Then Hanora is going to correspond with Kedusha and with Teferis and with Emes and with Torah. So the Maharal says, that's why I have an extra copy of it, I guess. So I'm just going to, maybe I'll just read from here because I'm not sure. The one that I underlined is not the same as the one that I quoted. Okay, the Maharal says, this is like Gadol Givor Nora. It's sort of like the, the mean between two others, which is similar to that idea of the Vilna Gaon, that you have, the, there's the turning to the right, there's the turning to the left, but where they blend in the middle, there's this reality of the middle. So he says, Lefichach gilui hashchina. Okay, let me let me let me find it in here. Okay. This is. Let me start with the question that he asks. Really, is this? He says, "Why is it that Hashem is described over here as Nora?" 
So to understand the question, let's just go back. Gadol is greatness, and we said greatness is, let's say, a measure of influence. How many people you have in your circle? God is the Gadol. He's got the entire universe is within his circle of influence. Okay, he's, Gedula is the influencing out. Givura is Hashem restricting that flow of chesed in order to give it shape. I'm not going to repeat that whole Nevator there. But Nora, each of those words, Gadol and Gibor, are, let's say, descriptions of, we can't say of Hashem, because we already said that we can't do, but of an interaction of his. So something that is told to us about him, so to speak, that he influences, that he gives, that he holds back. But Nora is not the same grammar. If you wanted it to be the same grammar, it would be something like, I'm looking to see if he gives an example of what it would be. I'm not sure. Like Mora, <laughs> like the one who, with an Aleph at the end, the one who causes awe. If Nora is awe, but Nora would be like the one who is held in awe, which is a Nifal word, meaning it's, how we feel about Hashem, not how Hashem is interacting with us. You hear what I'm saying? Why no. there's a question here? The grammar is different. The description is, is, is a more is a thing. Well, like the, it, or it's, a an, noun it's and, and Hagan, let's say we don't call it a noun. noun. It's let's say adjective. we use it as an adjective. Okay? Oh, okay, but it's a description of his interaction with us. Oh, okay. Gadol is Hashem is Gadol to us. Gibor, Hashem is Gibor to us. Okay. Nora is that we perceive him with awe. So it's not describing him, it's describing us, oh, really. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's describing him, but in terms of us, which is weird. It's different from the other two. Mm-hmm. Nif'al means acted upon, literally. Okay. Okay? Nif'al is a grammatical term, right. but it means acted upon as opposed to po'al, which is acting. All right, so this is where the question is coming from. Why is Hashem described as Nora? What does Nora tell us then? If this is how Gadol HaGibor Nora, now we're at the stage of Nora, then where's the Nora? Okay. So he says, now remember what we talked about, where one aspect of Kedusha is influencing the spiritual, influencing the physical, and yet not being dependent upon that. Here we have. Hashem revealing, when Hashem reveals his greatness or his shechina to us, we, that is not described as having the effect of causing awe. And the reason for that is, hakobi de shamayim kutzmi yiras shamayim. Yira is the same root as Nora. And Hashem does not interact with humanity in such a way that he messes with our minds in terms of how we relate to him. He doesn't. He could, <laughs> but he doesn't. He holds back. Hakobi de Shemaim, everything's in the hands of heaven, except for Yerushalayim. That he leaves to us. That's our free will. Right? We talked about Kedusha as an ultimate expression of a human being's free will. That's, what cause, that's a cause of Kedusha. That generates Kedusha. Ainli Kroos, Hashem Yisbarach, Belashon Po'al, 
we do not describe, when it comes to the aspect of awe or fear, we don't describe Hashem in an active term. Because that would sound as though that he is generating the sense of awe. But God doesn't do that. It's the one who receives it. The one who is shown a glimpse of God's greatness or seeks it out, who has a revelation of Shechina to him, that Mechabal, the recipient, who Yari Me'atzmo, within himself generates the feeling of awe or fear. It has to come from inside. Right? So nice to see it. Ve'im lo yirtzelios Yari, and if the person is unwilling to have fear of God, then there is no active influence here that will generate the fear within him. That's a choice. God can be revealing himself right and left. But the choice to see it, to open your eyes, to see it, to let it act on you, to have an influence on you, to decide from that, oh my goodness, who am I in this world if Hashem is so great and therefore, that's going to affect my behavior and my thoughts and my feelings. That's a choice. And this is what Hazal have told us. What, what does Hashem ask of you? Only to have awe of him. That's what he asks of you. The rest of it he'll take care of. He could take care of this also. He has malachim, right? Malachim are purely, I have elsewhere a source like this. It's also the Maharal. That... Um, Hashem is all cause. Malachim are all effect, so to speak. But Hashem leaves something that he demands of us to provide. And Chazal say, It's all in the hands of heaven except fear of heaven. Awe. He says, explaining this is a very long topic. Explained elsewhere. But the main idea is that Hashem Yisbarach does not cause Yira at all. Yira is caused within the person. It's up to a person and will never be forced upon them. Which helps us understand Kedusha, the free-willed expression of humanity. Right, Rav Hirsch says, to aspire to be ready to do Hashem's will with all of oneself. When a person says, I want to be ready to do Hashem's will with all of myself, that is the free willed expression of humanity. So we have here this idea of Hagadol, Hagibor, Vehanora. And I think that, that that really does blend, meaning Hashem is described as Nora because it involves our choice as well. It also involves Hashem. It's not that it doesn't really. Because there's still the Gilu Yishrina. There's a revelation that happens. There's the Torah that Hashem has revealed to tell us things. There's a world that he's opened our eyes to, to allow us to see that he is present. But it is wholly on our side to accept that and to take it into ourselves and to create that influence inside of ourselves that's offered. So that's, that's the, the correspondence of Tiferes and Emes and Torah and Kedusha and Nora. I think and we'll stop there for this week. Um, I hope I'll be able to teach again next week. And I'm not sure about the week after. I have to check the schedule. Hopefully that will be fine.
So school is starting, and Mitzvah Shem, um, I'm gonna, I hope 